0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to our podcast called Frontier Faith. This is We call this Frontier Faith because it is a podcast where it's okay not to know. Not to know what you believe, why you believe it, or even where you're going. It's about the journey between where you were and where you eventually will be. And we're so glad that you're with us once again. My name is Nathan Whitaker.
1: My name is Ryan Harris.
0: We're going to be talking about the church today. Uh, We have a three-part structure, so last episode we talked about our heritage, about growing up in different denominations within the Christian church. And today we're going to talk about how that heritage started to uh, show cracks. Maybe not the heritage itself, but certainly the stories that come from that heritage. So as always, I want to ask Ryan, how did you start to see those cracks or how did the inheritance that you received start to become something you not necessarily question but you maybe saw some problems with?
1: You know, I think that there there were some times even as I was growing up where I saw some problems or at least things that seemed to be problematic is maybe a better way to put it. Um so last time i talked a lot about how for me growing up my my experience was that church was very much based on experiencing god through the spirit and that was usually done through various you know uh, as they would say manifestations of spiritual gifts whatever that was whether that was prophecy or speaking in tongues or oh i don't know whatever whatever that was that day but i think what that could create sometimes Is, you know, it's very hard to set any real firm standards of what is the work of God and what is maybe not the work of God. Um, Hmm. What I mean by that is if someone feels they have a word from the Lord for somebody, which by the way, I think is really a thing that happens, um, they go and they tell this person something. If it really is a word from God, you know, it probably encourages them or edifies them somehow, or maybe even, you know, brings some kind of um, conviction or something. Great. The problem is, like, you get a lot of people, or at least sometimes it would happen where someone would say something and it'd be real weird, right? It'd be like, you know, God told me X, Y, or Z. And you hear that and you're thinking, did he though? <laughs> <laughs> like, are you sure? You know, that kind of thing. Sometimes... It could be used very manipulatively in the sense of, like, if somebody wants something, if God is on their side, it's real hard to argue with them. You know, like, someone who is the the uh, controller in the church, there's always at least one, if not more, and, you know, they'll they'd get a word from the Lord, and this is what we're supposed to do, and, you know, I remember even growing up, now, we were in a church that had a fair share of, like... When I say crazy, I don't even mean that. Like, I mean, legitimately had some various mental issues, right? Mm. And we had this one lady who decided that she was the prophet of the church and that she started giving, quote, prophetic words that were, I can just, even as a kid, I remember being like, uh, no, 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 you know, like, and usually they were about how whatever, um, dad my dad was the pastor so whatever he was preaching was wrong (laughs) it was this kind of (laughs) stuff right so now she had it's not even about her because like i said she had some pretty serious problems like um you know legitimate ones but you know like in a situ in a context where that kind of gift is not only not that is not only normal but encouraged it's not that you can't deal with that, but it, it does kind of make it more difficult because, you know, on the surface of it, what's the difference if I say I'm a prophet or if she does, you know? Yeah. And, you know, there are ways that, that that would be dealt with, and we can talk about that if you want. But I think one of the problems is how subjective it. I mean, it has to be, you know. I mean, I don't know how else, if you allow that God... Uh, to do those kind of things, that's not the right way to put it. If your system has room for God doing that kind of direct work through people to other people, then um, it's hard to put any kind of rigid rules on it. And so that's both good and bad. And so I think sometimes the the cases where it seemed pretty obvious that that was being abused um, was one of the things that could be, easily be problematic.
0: Hmm. So what's interesting to me about that is uh, you use this word subjective. Mm -hmm. And in a conservative church body that's really focused on objective truth, Mm -hmm. uh, how does that match up? Like, how does the subjective experience match up to the objective reality?
1: Well, it's a strange mix of things. Um, I think I didn't have... I don't think I would have been able to pinpoint it then, but I think maybe that was like some of what was going on internally about why this was difficult Hmm. um okay you know but i guess the only thing i can say is that there was an attempt in dealing with this um there was an attempt to be somewhat more objective and what i mean by that is um you know like if someone speaks in tongues in the in the worship service there was usually a uh Some kind of, I don't know if you want to call it a rule, but like they'll point to somewhere in the Bible where Paul specifically says, you know, one, maybe two, but no more because we have to have order in worship, he says. And so like there'd be things like that. Um, And I remember like my dad talking about, well, how do you know if it's from God, whatever God might be saying to you is, you know, does it encourage or help someone else? And more importantly, you know, can you find it some way in the Bible? But even that, like, you know, <laughs> you can find a lot of things in the Bible depending on how you look for them, <laughs> you know? Uh, oh, yeah. So I, I think I think you're right that it is kind of a strange mix, but there was also an attempt to try and, and I don't think it was an attempt to make it objective, quote, as a way to like, just so the pastor could be in 100% control. Mm-hmm. Um, because honestly, another part of this problem is that a pastor could use this pretty manipulatively too. Right. Uh, it's hard enough to argue with the pastor let alone if the pastor says god told him or her, right. you know, whatever. Yeah. Um
0: I always get nervous when somebody comes out and say, yeah, I spend so much time on our mission and vision in prayer. Right. And it's like, I get it. Like <laughs> I don't want to discount that, but I also wonder like what what are you doing with that? Are you saying That God gave you that mission and vision? Because then I start to get a little, like, warning, warning, you know?
1: Well, but see, the thing is, is, like, me too, on the other hand, um, like, I personally really do believe that kind of thing does happen, you know? And and I wouldn't want, personally, I wouldn't want that not to be a possibility, but it's... uh, it's fraught with a lot of difficulty. I remember, just a quick story, I remember I was a teenager, I might have been 16, and uh, some, I don't even think she went to our church, she was like visiting or something, or she's someone who came for a few weeks and then we never saw her again, and she came up to me after service and she grabbed my arm, not like violently, but it mm-hmm. was, I was. it was weird. <laughs> she said, God gave me a word for you, and I was like, okay. Uh, and what well, what is it? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she said something about, you know, it was something like God's been watching you and you've been messing up and messing around and you better quit it because there's consequences. Oh my there's goodness. Something terrible like this, yeah, right? Awful. And you know, especially for me <laughs> yeah. who worried about that all the time, who was afraid of everything, <laughs> who was didn't know it then but deeply closeted and all of this stuff, right? right. Like this was terrifying. And I look at that now and say that lady was just crackers, you know, right but but at the time, it was hard to hard to really know what to do with that.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean I, the the closest I've had to an experience like this, and I sh- think I shared this with you, I might not have, but uh, as a pastor of a church that desperately wants to know what it want, what it can do uh, for its community and as a church. Uh, I've been working on a mission and vision process and a strategy for a while. i finally starting to get to a place where I know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that I have a marker in my experience and it was an experience. I had just watched the movie, uh, the queen movie. What was it called? Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yep.
1: Yeah.
0: And, uh, great movie. Awesome movie. Very, very good, good movie. Even, even people who I wouldn't suspect would like it have liked it. My personal life,
1: yeah, it was just great.
0: And I was driving to church because my kids were there. It was my fr- my my day off, and um, I had a, you know an hour or so to kill. And I'm driving home, and I'm thinking about my job. I'm thinking about this movie, and I think about. Uh, uh, Paul's faith, hope, and love. And I'm thinking, you know, how can I do faith, hope, and love for our vision? It was very early. And um, I put place uh, things to faith, hope, and love, and I wanted to do, you know, uh, alliteration. So I don't remember what those were. But when it came to love, I do remember um, to love the lonely, because it just struck me how Freddie Mercury was so utterly lonely in his life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what that movie was. And it brought me to tears and I had to call uh, a local guy who's been helping me and tell him, you know, I don't know what's going on here because it wasn't normal tears. And I got to church. He said, just go and pray somewhere. So I got to church because that's what I was doing. And I just I couldn't handle it anymore. Um, And After that experience, you know, of course I'm confused by it because that's not how I have experiences. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um,
0: I have them through the brain. And um, it's just come back time and time again that uh, I believe that we are called at the church that I'm a part of to be loved to the lonely. And um, yet I wouldn't say that I've worked on this in prayer with God, even though it's true. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, but I mean, what, so what you're describing is the kind of thing I want there always to be room for in my theological system, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I've had experiences like that too. And, and, you know, they're, they don't happen to me that often. Honestly, if they happen all the time, that'd be a little too much, I think. But, There have been a few times where it seemed like it was one of the clearest times that God has ever spoken to me, even if I didn't hear any words or anything, you know? Um, And so I wouldn't want to lose that. But like I said, there's just so much that comes along with it. And at least in the church setting, man, it's tough. Mm -hmm. It's tough. And it really, a lot of it really depends on the, I don't know, this is not the right way to put it, but the quality of your leadership uh yeah. what's a better way to put that like you know you need a pastor that you can trust to not one be manipulative it manipulative with it him or herself and you need a pastor who also knows how to deal with that crazy people like that crazy lady who proclaim themselves the prophet in the church or go up to teenagers they don't know and tell them god's gonna get them um or whatever it may be
0: <laughs> yeah so you mentioned briefly that you figured out that this lady was crackers later uh, <laughs> but in the moment what did that do for you and then how did that experience show those cracks to you in the future
1: Um so you know in the moment I think I think even then I had an idea that this probably wasn't the lord speaking to me even even with all my normal stuff um But I think it kind of was part of me, part of my realization of another significant, I don't know if it's a crack or a very significant problem with some of this experiential approach. Because it seems to be so based on subjective experience, and because of some um, parts of Pentecostal history, and I'll talk about that very briefly just so it makes sense, but is there's this um, problem of, like, honestly, anti-intellectualism in general, like, just as baked in as part of the Pentecostal experience. And partly that's because all of the early Pentecostal leaders were not educated. Some of them were women, some were black, and, um, And even the ones who weren't, you know, they looked down upon um, higher education because in that time, you know, this was the very early 1900s. And and so, um, you know, they looked at education as something that got in the way of the work of the spirit, because what they'd see are people, you know, the the so-called, as they would say, so-called Bible scholars who read the Bible and find out well Jesus wasn't God. You know they, or they tell you why miracles aren't real, or, or you know that kind of higher criticism stuff. Right. And so they would be very proud of the fact that they don't have any of that because they didn't need it, right? Hmm. What one of the early people, his name was Charles Parham, and he started his own Bible school, and it was a very big deal. Was that their only textbook was the Bible because they don't need any of those other things because they have the Bible. Yeah. Uh, um,
0: interesting. I mean, yeah,
1: and and. Not only that, but they were also mocked and looked down upon and denigrated by other Christians because of this, you know, partly because you had. Yeah, I know, right? Well, and not to mention, remember, it wasn't just that they were uneducated, it was also the scandal of you had uh, races mixing and women praying for men and, you know, all of this. And so this kind of built this identity of, well, we don't need all that because we have the spirit, we have the Bible, and that gets in the way and it doesn't exist like that anymore in that same way but that's never gone away um that is still something that people in the pentecostal world have to struggle with now i mean there are pentecostal seminaries and graduate schools there are pentecostal scholars and so clearly it's not like it was then but you know <laughs> i remember <laughs> i remember somebody saying in uh, to my dad one time um he said well i don't care what it says in greek or anything like that because that doesn't mean anything i just want to know what it says (laughs) and on the one hand you can you can go with him because sometimes people use that stuff for pretty you know you know but on the other hand it's just like oh man right like yeah no (laughs) right and i think for me too i i I was always wanting like I was very into education my whole life and I always wanted to learn and and I will say my parents were very good about not teaching me that. I mean, I remember them saying like to watch out for stuff like that, like when I went to college, but they always wanted me to go to college. They didn't, you know, whether it was a Christian one or not. And they never like they always emphasized how important that was, too. But there was this even at the same time, but watch out that you don't let that get in the way of what the spirit will say to you. And so like with this woman that came up to me and gave me the, uh, the doom word (laughs) and said it was from the Lord. (laughs) Um, You know, like I could have told her if I'd had the presence of mind at the time to be like, well, I don't think that that was really the Lord speaking because here's reason a, B and C it wouldn't have done any good because someone like that would just dismiss that out of hand. Right. Right. And so like, even now it's this tension of like, um, how do we get the people in our church to realize that there are times when things like Greek and Hebrew might matter, you know, not maybe as much as some people have said, but that, you know, you don't want to just like throw all of our brains out the window because we have the Holy spirit. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Because I mean, God's the one who made our brains and made them work the way they work anyway so you know like there's just that idea of could my brain really stop god from working Mm. (laughs) but also i don't want i don't want to think my way out of what god might be saying to me like it's this really strange difficult tension um that it's something i still wrestle with honestly it's a it's a tough one to know where to go with it
0: is it is it tough
1: well Sometimes because like part of me wants to just say, well, that's all BS, (laughs) you know, but I think there is still also part of me that is fearful of, um, especially as we have these kinds of conversations, you know, um, there is still a part of me that's fearful of thinking my way out of what God might be saying Mm. or doing. You know, and I've gotten a lot better about that. I like I wouldn't be doing this if I were thinking that you couldn't do it (laughs) at all. You know, but it's still in there sometimes, and it's a tough balance.
0: Okay, I think that makes more sense to me then because I have a hard time believing someone who's educated to the level that you are, whether it's you or anyone else, would be suspect of intellect in the way you initially started talking
1: well and for me maybe that's not the right way to put it because at least not i think maybe i have like i've come a long way in that right because what i've seen through partly through the education but also through all the things that god has taught me along the way not just in classes but through the people i've met and um, experiences i've had during all of that it's it's a lot better because I I look around and I say, okay, clearly God's still doing stuff. You know, it it doesn't matter if, if I took all these classes and, and uh, clearly that wasn't a problem is what I'm trying to say. yeah So, but I think there's just a part that comes up sometimes, you know, that rears its head once in a while that, um, you know, does make me pause sometimes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, that's interesting, because for me, the places that give me pause are the feelings that I have that I'm not sure about.
1: Well, see, I know I was going to say, because like, I feel like, based on how we talked about it last time, it was pretty much, maybe, would you say the opposite yeah, experience for you? Cause,
0: like because I can listen to... I can listen to atheists on YouTube, no problem. Like, I'll listen to them and I'll say, huh, that's interesting, why would they make that argument? And I'll, you know, think it through and all that kind of stuff. And when I have trouble, it's not because I'm consuming this stuff that's outside of, you know, my tradition or my religion or anything like that. It's when I have a feeling that I'm not quite sure about and it disorients me. Hmm. And I don't know what to do with it. So it's almost... It is the opposite. So I have trouble feeling things the right way. And so my expression of this frontier faith when it comes to, you know the church and what we're talking about right here is how do we, within my tradition, within my just my ministry and my faith in general, is how do I incorporate more emotion into what's going on? And I'm not necessarily, I guess if I have a fear, it would be a fear. That I would open myself up too much, Mm -hmm. and then be on the void, on the brink of the abyss, and I've been there before, and it's not fun.
1: When you say open yourself up too much, do you mean to the people in your church? Do you mean to God? I mean, yes,
0: everything, uh, all of the above. Yes, all the above.
1: (laughs) So it's like it's part, at least partly, a protection thing.
0: It is, and I think it's because um, the. The raw area for my faith isn't intellectualism. It is uh, emotional. Hmm. Hmm. Which is just utterly fascinating to me that we're finding this difference. I
1: know. I was just pausing there because I was thinking, yeah, wow. It's like the exact opposite. It's almost like we both... (laughs) And when I say we, I mean these two worlds need each other desperately.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, you know I, I talk to people about what I study. And I know you have this occasion to this experience with folks. But I talk to people about what I study. I, I study postmodern philosophy and I get really deep in the weeds with it. And a lot of people just get terrified about it. They mm-hmm. just They don't know what to do with it. And I'm not talking just everyday people uh, that's – I don't know. I'm not talking about just people who aren't academics. I'm talking about even academics. I mean, Ryan's Uh been in classes with me where I'm asking professors (laughs) questions and they're, like, very uncomfortable with the question I'm asking because it's like – going against certain boundaries
1: yeah or they just cut it off at the knees from the beginning and say this person is like the worst yeah, right. and basically <laughs> satan so don't even bother and it's yeah. like oh boy you know
0: so i don't really get uncomfortable around intellectual things i had to you know prepare some i had to teach i wasn't like teaching in a deliberate way but she my wife had to get more accustomed to that around me because i would ask questions that most people feel are off limits and for me it's just uh curious however just to bring us back i do not do that with emotions because one in one sense i don't really know how but in another sense it's really scary
1: so okay so you've realized now that this um this i don't know how you want to say it but emotional deficit how's that yeah it's okay <laughs> um is you realize now that that's something that is a problem, right? Is uh-huh. that is that what made you kind of see the cracks in the stuff we talked about last time? Or did something else lead to that? Or or, or what was going on there?
0: Oh, I wish it would be like that because that would be neat. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, of course, found cracks intellectually. And I, I found them through a debate that is very common in our church bodies, seminaries, and even some congregations, certainly amongst pastors. And it's this debate around two words, confessional and missional, and I I don't need to get into it too much, but it basically answered the question, to bring our last conversation to this one, it answered the question of whose conscience do we need to comfort and The confessional folks believe that the job of the church, the reason the church is there, is to comfort the conscience of those who are, quote-unquote, saved. And, you know, listen to our salvation podcasts and even our sin podcasts that are coming out for more on that. But for me, it's it's just seemed kind of strange that the church was meant to just prop up church members especially because in my experience, even as a pastor's kid, most of my friends were not Christians. Most of my friends were people who were outside of the church because, as I've said, the church was my dad's job, so I didn't really want to make friends there. <laughs> I, I didn't really think of it like that, you know? It was just, uh, I had an aversion to it, let's say it like that. Mm-hmm. Um and so I made friends at school, I made friends outside in the neighborhood and that kind of stuff, and most of them were not Christians. And and here I go to church, and um, not always, because I don't want to put my dad in either one of these categories, but I did notice that a confessional approach seemed to be more oriented towards the people in the pew. And the story is kind of like you're, we've talked about this, but you're burdened, and so you come and you need to be comforted. Mm-hmm. We also have a separate idea of what the church is for, and the church is to equip people to go out and comfort the consciences or at least awaken the consciences of people who are not, quote-unquote, saved. And they awaken it, of course, again, listen to our podcast on salvation especially, but they, they awaken that by making them aware of how they're sinners and how God <laughs> is angry, course. you know? Of course, yeah. And... And Jesus is loving uh well I'm kind of moving away from that because that's not how I see the heritage or the inheritance that I have received. It's more that God is forgiving, and his forgiveness is loving so so there's this debate between these two confessional missional and It's just what our church body calls it. I'm sure every church body has different, you know, people, different, maybe not factions that seem like in ours, but certainly people and maybe groups that think this is more important than the other. So what I noticed was confessional folks, they turned into more propositional Christians. So they were much more interested in defining doctrine and arguing really about doctrine. And... I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I find that insufferable. It's very hard.
1: (laughs) It's exhausting. It's
0: exhausting because it seems like people don't want to, these, these kinds of people don't want, no, what do I say? Confessional folks don't want to spend much time talking about the text necessarily when it comes to the Bible. You know, what is Jesus saying here? No, they want to talk about the theology that informs what Jesus is saying here. And Which is
1: very interesting, because where do they get their theology from?
0: Right, right. So you get that weird thing that I kind of had the same feeling in what you were talking about. You get this weird thing of um, chicken and egg, right?
1: Well, yeah, you get this kind of like, I can't quite put my finger on it, but something's not right here. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the missional folks, it's more like... Uh, no matter how nice you make it, it's always about hell and damnation.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's a nice kind of damnation. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you can say it as nicely as you want and, and emphasize heaven, but there's always that threat and that threat is big enough. Mm-hmm. No matter how much you talk, uh, talk it down, it's big enough that that's what people hear. And so um, I noticed that missional folks are more interested in converting based off of fear. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, Confessional, just to, like, put it into uh, the same schema, confessional folks like to do things, they like to uh, get submission out of fear. It's like, we're going to su- make our people submit to the doctrines that we have because they're so afraid that, you know, if you question this stuff, you're going to hell type thing. Yeah. So I started to see this as like a broad stroke, but I saw all of that, and I started to say, I don't really like this. (laughs)
1: Um, I don't know why. I
0: don't like the options available to me. And to be honest, I played a lot in that confessional uh, sandbox, if you will. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out. In fact, that's part of the reason why I went to get my MDiv was to figure out the theology well enough that I could then, you know, to use the metaphor, I could construct the sandcastle well enough that nobody would be able to get around it
1: and uh, knock everybody else's down. The right? Different ones. Yeah. Well, well and, of course, because you know, mine's yeah. best. Well, of course, right? <laughs> I think I think when we met, which would have been what eight years ago now, nine. Uh, God, I don't know. Whatever it is, I think we. I wouldn't have used that term for myself, but I think we were both very much more like that. I remember yeah. our early discussions about theology or. Other things were very much that kind of, in that kind of sandbox, if you will.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I just, I kind of got tired of playing that. It's no fun when you got people, I'm going to kill this metaphor. (laughs) It's no fun when you got people coming over, knocking over your sandbox every single time or your sandcastle every single time. And you're playing this like weird protection game while you're also going out and attacking everybody else. It's very, very exhausting because what ends up happening in the confessional world, at least the way that I experienced it, is that I end up spending all my time fighting other Christians instead Mm. of either helping, you know, I think I'm helping them by showing them the true doctrine or whatever. But um, <laughs> well, we all
1: appreciate it so much. <laughs> I know,
0: right? <laughs> we all love that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I got tired of doing that because it's just, it's, it's um, I don't know when I started doing this, but I'm trying to think through my experience. I mean, clearly the dissertation, the doctorate kind of help, but so when was the time when I got Tired of doing all of this
1: well maybe you didn't have a like maybe there wasn't a straw that broke the camel's back there as might much not of a, have been just was a gradual process of you know all of a sudden there was no more camel and it was all straws or something i don't know
0: i think that's probably true i think it was more just a, a gradual thing of you know i didn't really want to do it with that argument i, I could see that like i really didn't want to get into um the debates around abortion first and then, well, I actually, I think that where it really started was around this conversation. Like i been listening to people, this confessional, missional, and one of the crazy things that came out of this is what we call the worship wars. And people were legitimately arguing, like not just in the collegial way, but in the life or death way, whether or not you have to have an organ or a guitar in the church.
1: I for us it was um, you know, is it okay to have drums? You know, and yeah. And the the more dinosaur I'm excuse me, conservative type people were <laughs> where um, you know, drums are bad and it's just because they're old and didn't like drums. But it yeah. was always I even remember like uh someone talking about drums being a pagan thing.
0: <laughs> just like right.
1: uh you don't complain about the orchestra. But anyway, um <laughs> But yeah, same, that's very much the kind of thing you're talking about.
0: Yeah, and so I just I stopped having that argument with people because I was like, I don't really care, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, I, I see them both saying the same thing. Just it's like, if you can apply the same thing to your enemies or to yourself that you do to your quote-unquote enemies, hmm. then you're not actually having a really good argument. you know. And so hmm. the thing they would say is basically, um, this instrument is not good for XYZ. And that's basically what they were both saying. it's like, so you're saying that an instrument dictates your worship to God. And I just, I can't, I can't what? get on board with that.
1: You know, there was a class in, I was in at seminary where I was, um, shall we say, by far, very much by far the youngest person in the room. And I think I was the only non-Lutheran type in there too. So it was me and all these middle-aged or older <laughs> Lutheran pastors. And somehow this kind of topic came up and they were talking about how you know, some kinds of music were inherently worshipful and some were evil. Yeah. Uh, and I said, well, first of all, I was like, good Lord, who cares? But then I said, <laughs> um, I want you to tell me what the difference is between a string vibrating in a piano and a string vibrating on a guitar. Yeah. I totally won that argument, but then they just told me it didn't mean that's not how it works.
0: <laughs> but anyway, it's
1: like. I I too had this moment of where you look around and you look at everybody and they're, they're getting like frothing at the mouth about this stuff. And you're thinking, guys, the world's on fire right now. And we're arguing about organs and you just kind of have a, well, that's enough. And you just, you're just done. (laughs) No. Yeah. It's just
0: like, I don't want to be a part of this conversation anymore. And I think that's absolutely right. Like for, for our church body, it's in decline, like almost every single other church body. And here we are, we're arguing about church instruments who cares? I just, so I think that's probably what it was is that that was just, you know, the experience around that wasn't a linchpin or wasn't even, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. It was just, it's an example of, I constantly had those conversations that just become less and less interesting to me. Hmm. And then as they become less interesting, I asked the question I always do, which is why? And then I started to say, well, I think maybe, because, and this has been more of a recent discovery, maybe because the conversation around the church and what it's for is sorely lacking
1: yeah and and I think I just wanted to ask too, because as we've you know, we've talked about these kind of things for a while now, and I feel like when you talk about it, it wasn't it wasn't just um that the discussions became stupid, although they were <laughs> yeah. not, not you and me. I mean like the right. discussions about, cause obviously ours weren't stupid. Um, but <laughs> like, I remember you talking about it also in, um, because of what those discussions were causing us to focus on and what the effects they were having as a result. Um, like what I mean I'll, here, I won't lead into a question. I'll just say it. Okay. I seem to remember you talking about like, um, You know, we're doing all this when people need our help, when when, you know, people need the gospel and people need all this stuff. And here we are spending all our time on this shit that doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like me. Sounds like. uh, So the Lutheran way to say that is we were spending all this time on something called Adiaphora, which is just. I knew
1: you were going to say that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh, It's just the uh, peripheries, right? The things that don't actually matter that uh I mean they they matter in so far as they're important, but they don't matter in as in so far as even informing what we're talking about here, which is ecclesiology. It doesn't even inform that it's just right. I remember when I was on vicarage, I went to one of these groupings of pastors, and I was just i was sitting there and thinking this is what these pastors are talking about. I don't even remember what it was. It wasn't Mm -hmm. church, but they're they're talking about this and they're dealing with like real hurt people. They're dealing with communities that need their help. And they're talking about this. And my supervisor, uh, the pastor I was under, he asked me on the car ride back to the church. He said, so what'd you think? And, uh, I'm not the most tactful person all the time.
1: (laughs) You've gotten much better.
0: I have gotten better. Um and I said it it looked like a very much like a pissing contest.
1: Yes. I, I don't want to offend anybody, but my term for it is theological dick measuring contest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I was just like, What what did we accomplish there? Everybody kinda had an opinion and we all now know where people's opinions are. I said you probably knew what they were before we even started uh-huh. that conversation. So what what did we accomplish other than getting angry or um writing somebody off
1: i say we got to feel smugly self superior because we have the right opinion whoever right. we are yeah
0: yeah so i just kind of got tired of that especially because um at the same time i was enjoying much better conversations elsewhere and i'm like oh so you can actually talk about this stuff with you ryan and with others and i'm like Huh, that's a lot more fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot better, and it seems like it's getting us to a better place. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just about standing firm, defending my sandcastle, or trying to knock over everybody's blocks. It seems like we're actually doing something cooperative, and we're trying to discover what this new thing, this conversation, whatever we're having it about, is getting us somewhere. And yeah,
1: it's like, well, you all are playing in the sandbox. I'm going to go help make sure nobody's drowning. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, and I mean, that sounds so like it's not to say that like we became like, oh, we've got everything figured out. And we are no, it's not that it's just like, can we just it's like, guys, can we just focus on people? And let's 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 focus there. Yeah. Right. Because I think, you know, that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. Just a, I know, crazy thought, but, and I don't even say that to like, um, it's not about like being superior to other people that do the other thing. It's just like, it was just a total reordering of priorities, um, that were less about either of us, like, okay, I need everybody to know that I'm right. Or I need to know that I'm right. right, And more about like, okay, no, I, I need people to know that they're important.
0: Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's so beautiful. That's wonderful. That's exactly what... And not just the people in the church, not just the people you're having the arguments with, but all those people that don't know that they're right? valuable. Well,
1: because, I mean, if if you ever had... Can you imagine someone who's not a Christian and has never been in a church much, and they somehow find themselves in this discussion of whether <laughs> organs or pianos are more holy instruments? Yeah, right. And it's just like... Uh, why would they want anything to do with any of
0: that? Well, we really don't have to imagine it. We can look at the church right now.
1: Fair point. Right?
0: And I've had plenty of conversations with people who are no longer part of the church or who have had those experiences where like, hey, I'll I'll go try this out, see what they're doing. And they go in and they basically see meaninglessness. It's like... Mm -hmm what are you people doing? You you realize like just down the street there, there's a mobile home park that needs a lot of work. Like Mm. there are people there that are barely surviving with the rent that they have, let alone the food that they need. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean like, yeah. So it's not only that it's ineffective, right? It's actively working against um, what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. I think like I, uh, I think I sort of understand because I think as human beings, and we all do this, especially when the everything seems like it's spiraled out of control, we all desperately need something to seize yeah. on that we can control. Right. And so, you know, maybe we can't control the fact like as an individual church that nobody's going to church. But what we can do is we can focus on being in control of the church we're at (laughs) or, you know, we can't we can't fix this gigantic problem. But, man, I'm going to get my way about what organ we use. And like it's it it sounds petty and it is. But it's also I think I'm not a psychologist, but I think there is very much a. um there is very much a very human tendency to try and be in control of the things we can control, especially when we can't control the big things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I would go a little deeper maybe and ask like, what's the existential fear? What What's the fear mm-hmm. that's driving this conversation? And I think uh, it's of course incredibly complex, but part of the fear probably is always especially when it comes to religion and our faith is maybe what I've constructed or maybe even if they don't think it that way, I'm going to say it that way. Mm -hmm. Maybe what I've constructed has holes in it. Maybe what I've constructed is as one of our professors said, a glass house after all. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean like maybe this church that I've belonged to maybe my whole life and maybe, you know, maybe that's been quite a while. And you know, it'd be really hard to look around and admit that there could be some cracks in the foundation, or that the house is made of glass, or or whatever it is. You know, I mean, it's hard. Like these kind of conversations that like we're having right now, they've gotten a lot easier, but they're still not easy for me either. Yeah, right. You know, that's um, where I
0: was going. I mean, we don't have to say maybe it was hard. It is hard. It We've is both hard. been there.
1: Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, I under I can understand if people look at that and whether they can articulate it or whether that's formed in their mind that way or not. I understand looking at that and being terrified. I do. How could you, how could you even go around this idea that this thing that I have belonged to this thing, that's such a core part of my identity, um, you know, and not just my identity as a person, but my eternal identity, all this stuff, right? Sure. Of course it's hard to, of course it's terrifying. And so like, If we could be a little more charitable, like I understand where this comes from, but the charity, I'm only going to extend it so far because that's not a good, it's not a good enough excuse to hurt people.
0: And we don't want to put our flag on that insecurity, right? We don't want to put our flag there and build our foundation upon it.
1: Right. It's like, I can understand where some of it comes from. And if we could be honest about that, that's helpful because then we can actually address those concerns and not you know, like the actual concerns we all have. But understanding where behavior comes from doesn't excuse bad behavior. Right. But it does change how we might deal with it.
0: So I have a question. Um, with the anti-intellectualism that you pinpointed, right. um, what is the existential fear there for your... and? In- your tradition and how did you, how did you answer that?
1: I think part of it very much is inherent to Pentecostal life and a lot of people in that whole family, but you know, in Pentecostal life is that God is doing something new and fresh and now, right? This is like, they really like to talk about revival and, and God's doing this, you know, great new move and we really don't want to miss what God is doing. Yeah. Because there's this idea that you can because if you really really don't want to follow what God is doing, like God won't force you. That's a that's an important part of the theology of about like mm-hmm. I remember them talking about just forgive how patriarchal this is, but that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, right? The spirit will not force anything, will not force you to do any kind of stuff. Right. And so I think the fear is we don't want to do anything that causes us to miss this new wonderful thing that God is doing. And I think what that does is that because of how it started that way, this idea of you can be not too smart, but too educated, but like that we can use our, our our brains or our thinking can cause us to miss what God is doing. And if you miss what God is doing, you know, I don't know. I don't think that they would say that you'll never get another chance. But, um, you know, you might miss this big part, this big amazing thing that God is doing, this revival, right? I mean, revival is not like a cool thing. (laughs) Revival is something dead coming back to life. Like revival is something that starts in in a basically a broken down old barn in Los Angeles and becomes one of the largest Christian denominations in the world hundred, just over a hundred years later. Um, so like, I think the existential fear is, I think they really are afraid of missing, missing the spirit's work of missing what God is doing. Um, and I think that that is what gets into, but then that pushes into a lot of other problematic places that I think might also make you miss what God is doing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um,
0: is it, I like that phrase. Missing what God is doing, is that because let's just use one schema of the intellect versus the emotional, right? So, uh, because we're talking about anti anti intellectualism, uh, is it that there there's a there wouldn't be a known fear or uh, let's say an expressed fear of this, but maybe just a gut fear that shifting towards intellectual thought would be shifting some of the foundations shifting some of the uh identity
1: yeah yeah and you know what i just had another thought that i think is an important part of this in um in this type of christianity there's this big idea of not being like the world you know, the capital w the world in the sense of like
0: the bad things stuff. that
1: are in opposition to god so yes bad things you don't want to be worldly which in that world in that <laughs> in that group <laughs> is is usually things like you don't drink you don't smoke you don't for them dance you don't do all these things because you're not like the world you are you are um you followers of christ you're not right. you're friends of god not friends of the world kind of thing and i think um i think that there is very much this idea of well, yeah, but academia, education, mm. edu- learning, that's that's a world thing, mm. especially given where that can go, right? Yeah. Especially if you think that scholars writing about higher criticism is an attack on faith. Um, well, you're going to see that as something very much of the world that you don't want to have anything to do with yeah. because, I mean, you know, you don't. Yeah, I think I think that's it, too, is that there's this – so is it about shifting the foundation to something else? Yeah, I think so, especially when – I mean, that's a pretty fundamental, pretty big fear. Yeah. Um, it's not like, oh, well, we made a little mistake here. It's like, no, if you're worldly, you're probably not a Christian at all. Mm. In fact, I think we could take the probably out of there. Yeah. <laughs> so – yeah, does, does that answer your question? Yeah,
0: because I think if if you were to ask that question, turn around on that schema with me, I think, because you asked this in the last part, uh, could we see something emotionally? And I think part of the existential fear there is like if we give in to our emotional uh, experiences or perceptions, even, or maybe even interpretations, that we would uh shift our foundation or maybe not as, you know, serious as that but shift our understanding at least away from a logical theological way uh and into something that would disrupt quite a bit of what we do
1: mm. well and tell me if this is true or not i'm not sure but it almost sounds like it almost sounds like it was the same concern but for you guys and girls, well, who are we kidding? You guys. It was more, um, <laughs> it's almost like if you, I know you don't think of worldliness in the same way that we did necessarily, but it's almost like you were afraid of the same thing. But the, the uh, boogeyman for you was not, we're going to get too much education. It was that we're going to like be emotional and be just like all of the, everybody else is. And that will cause us to then mm-hmm. miss God.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We will lose our understanding of grace. We will lose our justification. Um, which you know, I can't possibly imagine a world where Lutherans <laughs> lose justification. Uh, um, but,
1: but it's just it's it's another example of we're like on total opposite sides of the spectrum, and yet when you pull the things apart a little bit or a lot a bit, <laughs> they're not that different.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I like that. So, Ryan, what did you learn about yourself as this deconstruction conversation happened? What did you learn about where you saw those cracks?
1: Well, I mean, I think I learned that um, my concerns that we talked about were not crazy and that I was not... um, I was not displeasing God by uh being honest about those concerns. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have been able to have this conversation 5 years ago. I don't think not like this. Um and I think I I think for me it's just another example of what we're talking about here of like this is this is how it looks on the frontier of like pulling the 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 branches and the leaves back and trying to find a path when you can't always see very far ahead of you. Um yeah, I think that's I think that's kind of what it showed me.
0: Yeah. And I I think it might be a really good example cuz we've been a little more critical in other conversations, but I think this episode shows that being on the frontier doesn't mean you have to throw away uh what your heritage or your inheritance was we're we're really just at the place right now where it's like it's hard to see what we've been given in the way that we've been given it and right. we're just i like that image of peeling away the uh what'd you say the
1: the, the foliage really right like the jungle vines and all that tangled in front of you
0: yeah it, it seems to me like the the other metaphor that a lot of people use is that we've shaven off some of the barnacles on the ship. Mm-hmm. We've mm-hmm. we've moved them away, and we're like, all right, let's take a real good look at this warts and all, right? Mm-hmm. Because when barnacles come off, they don't come off nicely.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, also, like you said, keeping some of it, right? Like, I it wasn't like like I said earlier. I really feel like these two traditions could desperately use each other in that, like they're both seem to be strong in what the other is lacking.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> But that, right. I mean, but that right there says that we're not trying to throw them all out entirely.
0: I had this really weird thing go through my brain. It's like, we could do a very Hegelian move here where you're... That would go through your brain. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was weird. Like, we could say, all right, so we have our traditions and now we... Uh, you know the that's the thesis, and then the anti, and then we put them together, and hey, that's the new one. Um,
1: mm, so this is we have a new zeitgeist, huh?
0: Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a fan of Hegel. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, sort of. Let's put it that way. It's not so much that we're trying to create a yeah uh, Luthercostal movement <laughs> as much as we just want to look around and you know, like you said unravel the things that need to be unraveled while keeping the good stuff that God is doing wherever we are.
0: Yeah, we're we're not even really looking to create something new necessarily. I think that, you know, my heritage would say that, you know, all all of us probably want to be more like Martin Luther than we would admit. And what Martin Luther did is he saw something and he wanted it to be more authentic to who God was
1: he didn't start out nailing things to the door
0: right it wasn't Mm -hmm. only until he ran into some of those people right right and I think if I'm not going to be so bold to say we're being Martin Luther here because that has connotations that I'm uncomfortable with but plus
1: he was a jackass
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you just offended all the Lutheran listeners listen
1: in in some ways he was not a nice person
0: (laughs) um but i do we're not we're not trying to create something new here we're trying to live into at least i'm trying to live into the spirit of what martin luther gave us and what he gave us was not a new religion he was very clear we called the reformation for a reason it's not about creating a new protestant religion although that's what ended up happening it's more what do you see and how can we get to something that's more authentic to what God is saying to us in this time and place through his word and sacrament for you Lutherans out there but also through the conversation that we have with people that are not quite like us that are uh different that have not just differences for its own sake but different values that can complement us and so in the conversation Ryan and I have, we're not looking to merge each other and change it, but I'm trying to learn from what Ryan is saying, because he has a different perspective than I do. And it can help me fill out my faith, my life, my expression of my faith and life. And I hope the same would happen with Ryan.
1: Yeah, that's that's happening for me too. <laughs> for sure. I mean, that's that's why we're doing this. I mean, yeah, we're really good friends, but that wasn't that I mean, that was just kind of what set the stage for this kind of stuff, I think, um, or what made it possible, maybe is a better way to put it. But, yeah, I think we've just all been so afraid for so long, like we were talking about, of doing this kind of work. And, you know, we don't say it's okay not to know just because we need a tagline, although it's a pretty good one, I think. But... <laughs> We're doing this because I think this is what God wants us to do. I think this is what God always wants us to do. We and I and I promise God can take it. God's not scared of the questions that we have. I just I just don't believe that cuz if God is that way then I don't there's not what are we worrying about anyway?
0: Yeah, and we're discovering that more people are becoming less afraid of these questions as well. And right. If we're learning from each other, we also hope that you're learning from our conversation. Please send us an email at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you're going through, what you're thinking. Um, We don't have to get into theological debate. We're more interested actually just hearing your stories. Mm -hmm. We've heard one that was just really fascinating of how a new thought occurred to this person that had never occurred to them. And You know, we love that. Ryan and I, we gushed over it for days Uh because it was just, it's so wonderful to hear those kinds of stories. Now, we, of course, would love to debate and talk as well, but primarily what we want to hear from you is, well, we want to hear anything that you have, so... (laughs) We're lonely. We're lonely. <laughs> we're desperate. I hope it doesn't. No, we're not uh, desperate. No, we we're just, kidding. We, want, we do want to have a conversation with you, however you want to have that conversation with us. So feel free to email us. And thank you, as always, for listening. We are so glad that we can do this with you, that we can uh, bring this to you. It does help Ryan and I alone, but it also is very encouraging to know that At least some people are listening to this and saying, huh, that's really interesting, and maybe even adding a voice to that conversation in their own faith and in their own life. And we thank you for that honor. We thank you for all that you do for us. Continue to look out for new episodes, and we will see you next time as we talk about where do we go from here with the church. We've talked about our inheritance. We've talked about the cracks that we have in that story. And then we're going to talk about next time what that might look like in the future. As always, thank you. And remember, it's okay not to know what you believe, why you believe it, or even where you're going. You are welcome here in this conversation, in this frontier.